Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason. And you can call me Dancing Todd because I'm a dancing fool today. Wait, what about the Todd father? Well, I'm the Todd father, too. But right now, I'm dancing. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Terry A. Smith, who is the lead pastor of the Life Christian Church uh, for over 27 years. And he just did a thing. Yes. And they have um, campuses in West Orange and Pomeres, New Jersey. Will you tell him what he did? And it's well, and it's known for its vibrant diversity and robust leadership culture. We'll get, get this, Todd. With people from more than 132 distinct communities in the New York City metro area participating in the church. Which is amazing, but what did he do? Well, he also wrote a book Thank you. called The Hospitable Leader. And he is the co-founder of the New York City Leadership Center. And and get and get this. The idea, and he talked about this a little bit in the interview. The idea that he talked about in this, guess who thought it was absolutely amazing? My mom. No. Jack Welsh. What? I know. Like that Jack Welsh? Like that Jack Welsh. Or did he just find somebody named Jack Welsh nope. out there? The real Jack Welsh. The real one. <laughs> the real one. You think you can ever get an idea that will get Jack Welsh's attention? I think I can get an idea that will get your attention. Okay. I think I know where we're going to go for lunch today. Boom. Got your attention. In your eye. And the answer to that other question is no. So, as we mentioned, we have a great episode for you today. However, and this is our... Uh, we released an episode earlier in this week. Oh, two? And so if you missed our earlier episode this week, go back, check it out. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, Todd, what is it? Well, you could always subscribe to the podcast or you could just bribe me or pay me off and I'll just send it to you. Either one of those options will work. Also, if you want to hear... Trying to make money out here. If you want to hear about our Learner's Corner Recommended Resource of the Week, Go back to the previous episode and you can hear kind of what we're learning from hey. right this moment. Now, as we mentioned, we have a great episode with Terry Smith. So here's our conversation right now. Well, Terry, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, you, you've authored this book called The Hospitable Leader. And just as we're kind of get started, can, can you tell us a little bit about um, what hospitable leadership is? So the, the technical definition of a hospitable leader is this. A hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but it's trying to describe a really big concept about how to welcome people in a way where we're able to exercise influence, which is really what leadership is about, and especially to exercise influence over an ever-expanding diversity of people. So um, we should see hospitable leadership as a worldview, as a mindset, as an approach. It can have multiple expressions in action and behavior, but we should kind of think of it as a philosophical operating system. There are a lot of great theories and methodologies tried and proven around leadership, but every one of those methodologies works better in an environment where people feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. 
what was there like a specific moment or maybe a series of moments that that led you or helped you discover this idea of hospitable leadership? So I'm a student of leadership, um, kind of unusual, I guess, for a pastor, which I am, uh, that m my academic background includes a, a, a master's degree in organizational leadership. I'm just fascinated by leadership. And as I've studied the leadership methodology of Jesus, it is amazing how often he exercised influence in some hospitable context. It's crazy. Uh, and that, that can mean a, a, a literal physical space, feasting, dinner, uh, creating food, etc. Or it can mean hospitality expressed in a number of other ways, which maybe we'll get into, but uh, spiritually, emotionally, attitudinally, communicatively. So when you, when you look at how Jesus led, he from, it's amazing, for instance, how many times he is changing somebody's life in the context of a meal from the wedding at Cana, where he first showed his glory and people believed in him through uh, constantly having dinner with every imaginable kind of person to um, the Last Supper, to his post-resurrection reconciliation breakfast that he cooked for Peter, to, um, you know, launching the new age, according to Isaiah's prophecy, the age to come with the great eschatological feast to which all peoples, Isaiah said, are invited, and where the banquet table, table is covered with the finest of foods and the finest of, of wines. So he was constantly leading in a hospitable context. Now, I have layers of other reasons why I've discovered this idea, um, but I don't want to go on and on without giving you the opportunity to interrupt me and ask me more questions. Yeah, um, honestly, I'm, I'm just really curious if you, if you just want to explain how you were introduced uh, to this idea even more. And sure. Then, and then after that, um, I'm sure we'll have some qu some questions that we want to ask. Great. Well, thanks. So, so, so the other. So, first of all, there's kind of the the leadership methodology of Jesus and trying to understand it. He was the most effective leader in the world. How did he lead? And so, he is the hospitable leader. But secondly, I I have the privilege to serve a church in a suburb of New York City um, called West Orange. Actually, we have a campus now in Paramus as well. And the thing that we're probably best known for <clears throat> is our diversity and the fact that we attract uh, a lot of people who are inclined to lead things. <clears throat> and um, so I've been here 27 years. We've grown from, a, from a, a few handfuls of people to a few thousand people. And, um, and people have asked me now... Um, so often, how would I describe how we've built what we've built? And this is finally the answer I've come to. We've practiced a hospitable leadership that welcomes a broad diversity of people. And when I'm talking about a broad diversity of people, I'm talking about we are diverse politically, we are diverse racially. In fact, guys, we do not have a dominant racial group in our church. Wow. Um, we have people, last I checked, from 136 distinct communities attending our church. We have rich people and, and, and poor people. We have 
lots of PhDs and a few folks who are probably trying to earn their GEDs. I mean, we are just incredibly diverse socioeconomically. I think I've already mentioned that. So how, how has that happened? Well, this book, The Hospitable Leader, is part of how I'm trying to explain um, the success that we've had by God's grace in building this incredibly diverse congregation. And then the third thing I would say is I've also uh, studied this out of my own need. Um, sometimes people hear me talk about this and they read the book and they think that I'm, I must just be this naturally nice guy who's inclined to be really hospitable. And the fact is that's not true. I am a very passionate um, and, if not careful, driven kind of a person. And as I was growing this church, um, at some point it occurred to me that if, if, if I didn't lead carefully, that, that we were not on a sustainable path in terms of too much staff turnover, um, the, the kind of things that happen when a driven leader is leading a thing. And um, over the years, by God's grace, I learned that I had to lead in a way where people wanted to hang out with me over a long period of time. And so that's probably the other way I would describe uh, how I've come up with this, this concept. It's, 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 it's also to teach and inform me. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the, what are the uh, practical things that, that you've done and then the overall... Um, church and leadership of the church has done to really just to just encourage and invite um, this this diversity across you know across like you were saying socioeconomic um, race um, political all all of, all of that because that's really um, that's not something that you see too often. Yeah, and, and so one thing I always want to I I want to be careful about Caleb and Todd in. When I'm when I'm talking about our diversity, is that I don't want to make people who 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 aren't experiencing that feel guilty. Mm -hmm. I do I do. Some people aren't in very diverse places. You mm -hmm. can't create you know the the context in which you're doing ministry or building a business or whatever. We are in a diverse area. Now I will say, we're in a diverse area, but very few churches are diverse still. So. So we are unique, and I find great possibility in that, and I encourage it to everybody. So this starts with, 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 a, with, with a theory informed by Scripture that we have held up as a very high value for many, many years here. We talk about it all the time. I just talked about it last Sunday, in fact, and it's this. We love loving strangers, and uh, this comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, which you guys and I imagine most of your listeners are familiar with, but Hebrews 13, 1 says that we're to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. The Greek word that's translated brotherly love there actually is Philadelphia, of course. And then verse 2 says, and we also need to be hospitable to strangers because when we are, we may be entertaining an angel unaware. The Greek word philoxenia is translated to be hospitable to a stranger or to entertain a stranger or to love a stranger. Literally, it means to love loving strangers. So I talk about how that we have to move from Philadelphia, which is 
loving each other as brothers and sisters, which is challenging enough, to philoxenia, which is to love loving strangers. And that for us to be a healthy community, we have to do both really well. But we focus on this idea of what does it mean to love a stranger? And, and we define a stranger as anyone who is strange to us or to whom we are strange. And that, that could mean someone of a, of a different race, ethnicity, nation of origin. In today's world, probably the strangest uh, uh, person to a, someone who watches Fox News is someone who watches MSNBC and vice versa. Um, strange to us can mean all kinds of things, but we've tried to hold up a value that says we celebrate the fact that we've chosen to not do life with people who are just like us, who think like us, who uh, vote like us, who uh, enjoy the same kind of foods at dinner, et cetera, et cetera. So th that's really the, the, the big thing is you just constantly, we constantly for years have hammered away at that value that um, we, we want to do life with people who are not like us. And this especially is true when it comes to followers of Jesus and our attitude towards people who aren't following Jesus. We especially want to make sure that we, we, are, we are welcoming to them so that we can exercise influence and speak truth as we understand it. And finally, finally, I would say that what we've learned is that when we are careful to love the stranger, that often that person who was strange to us becomes a messenger from God. That's what the text says, that, that, that when we entertain strangers, we might be entertaining angels unaware. Now, that could be a literal angel. But we, we use it to, to say that if we treat every stranger as if they were an angel, then often that person becomes to us a messenger from God. And this is what I've learned over the years. So I'm this guy born and raised in Indiana, uh, doing a life with a lot of wonderful people, but people who pretty much were just like me in every way. Now for 27 years, being in this incredibly diverse context, my life has been expanded so much and my influence has been multiplied so much because of this concept of loving the stranger. Can you, um, so can you talk to us about this idea of radical hospitality? And, and, and I want you to talk to it through this lens. Um, you say in the book, one of the lines in the book that, that you talk about is that you, you say that people are opportunities. Can you talk to us about how radical hospitality and this idea of people being opportunities, how do these two play together? One of the things that I disdain as a kind of perhaps an odd way to try to answer that question is I, I do not like to be in an environment that's supposed to be a hospitable environment when someone says um, no problem. So you, you call the receptionist, uh, the receptionist answers the phone, you ask to speak to someone, and she says, uh, I'll connect you. I say, thank you. She says, no problem. I, I think the thing that bothers me about that is that there's, there's some, I, I realize people say that without thinking about it, and I just offended the majority of your listeners <laughs> because e everybody says this. But I just don't like talking in the language of problem, especially when it concerns dealing with people. 
I think rather that we all we don't think of people as problems or creating some kind of problems or potentially presenting us with a problem, but we think of people as opportunities. Um, and uh, there are a lot of leaders who, because we find our greatest challenges with people, um, we tend to think about people in terms of, of problems. Uh, leading a team, for instance, brings so many complications that any uh, leader who is leading a team of any size spends a lot of their time dealing with what might be called people problems. But I think we just have to change our mindset about that and always see in every person an opportunity. They are not a problem. They are an opportunity. This can be applied to all kinds of things. Leading a team, uh, meeting a stranger, um, having someone who, who does something that that is offensive to us, but who we choose to look at in terms of opportunity for one reason or another. So that's that's part of what I mean when I talk about people being opportunities. Life is so much better uh, when we're doing it in the company of others, even though others often bring challenges to our lives. It's worth it. The 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 reward is so much greater than the cost. What are some things maybe that you've tried? that you've done in your personal life to kind of I don't know how else to to say it other than like to put on the eye the, the the eyes that you need to be able to see um the these these opportunities in, in people in that light or or how 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 do you do that to be to be radically hospitable to everybody around because it sounds like this is a, a a habitual thing that needs to be developed rather than just some people are born with it and some people aren't it just sounds like to me it's more of a habitual thing am I am I kind of tracking here with this what you're saying yeah i think you know it's like so many things you, you start with theology or you start with um theory or philosophy and then you've, you've got to work it into your life which which i've been doing for years and which i'm still trying to do um you know th this this could be uh, something as simple as um for me personally here's an example this may be one of those things you want to erase from your podcast, uh, uh, edit from your podcast. <laughs> but, uh, so because I've, I've never tried this, this, uh, angle out before, but you're, you're asking the question in a different way than it's been asked to me. So personally, I remember when I first moved to New York city, uh, uh, again, 27 years ago, probably within the first few months I was here, I walked out of Carnegie Deli with a bag of leftovers, and a guy was sitting there, uh, or, or actually was standing there, perfectly healthy-looking guy, um, uh, asking for money. He had a cup in his hand. And I, I looked at him, and uh, he looked great to me, and he had on a brand-new pair of expensive tennis shoes. And, I, and I, I'm terribly embarrassed to tell you this, but I expressed my disdain for him, a healthy bodied young man with new tennis shoes on asking for money. And this guy and I walked down the block on opposite sides of the street, that'd be seventh Avenue, I think shouting at each other. When I think about that 27 years later, it humiliates me. But it took me years to get to the place where I started to look at that guy, not as 
my problem, but as an opportunity for me to do some good work, for me to, uh, to serve, for me to love, for me to extend myself. And, um, you know, I make it a point now. I mean, there's nothing heroic about this. I should have been doing it 27 years ago. But when I'm walking around a city and there are people begging, you know, there are some places, you, you know, you, you, you have to be discerning just because you'd be dropping money and, you know, you'd go broke in a day. But where I, I see those people completely different. I see them as people created in the image of God. I sometimes literally wonder, I wonder if this is an angel sent to test me. That may sound ridiculous, but I'm just being frank with you. And um, I need to look at this person as a child of God to be loved, valued, and treated with respect. And if I can do something to help them, I'm thankful, and I see that as an opportunity. Well, you could overlay that over my life in all kinds of ways, and that's the kind of journey that I've been on personally. And, you know, most probably most of your listeners 27 years ago, they would have, you know, dropped money in the guy's cup. Um, I, I should have. But that's just not the way I saw life. It's not the way I saw people. It's not the way I thought about the poor. Um, and so. Mm -hmm. one, one of the things, you know, just as we were doing research for it, I was listening to um, your interview that you did with the Launch University podcast. And you made a statement in there that I instantly, I had to get out, um, I had to get out my phone and I had to write it down. Um, you said that leaders of the past tell and leaders of the future ask. Can you explain that idea a little bit more and what you mean by that? Yeah, first of all, that's a great quote, isn't it? And it's, yeah. not, orig it's <laughs> not original with me. I, I was quoting Francis Hesselbein. Francis Hesselbein was the president and CEO of the Girl Scouts for many years. She transformed the Girl Scouts. And um, Francis ended up winning the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, and she was a protege of Peter Drucker, you know, probably the greatest leadership mind in history. And when Peter Drucker died, Francis took over the Drucker Institute, which is now called Leader to Leader. Anyway, she's legendary in the leadership space. And you'll see her referenced in a lot of Jim Collins' work and so on and so forth. Well, through, through my work with the New York City Leadership Center, I've gotten to know Frances, and we've actually hosted her here and had her speak at our church. One of the things she said when she spoke here, and she's now, I'm going to guess, she'd probably kill me for trying to guess, but I'm going to guess she's 105 years old. Okay, she's about four foot. I don't know. She's very short and tiny, and but she's powerful. And um, when we had her speak for us, she was somewhere close to 100 years old. And she stood up there and she said, I have a tattoo on my shoulder. It says, leaders of the past tell, leaders of the future ask. Now, if you saw her, you'd know she doesn't have a tattoo on her shoulder. <laughs> But she was saying that this is something so important to her that it that it's as if it's tattooed to her, to, to her body. So the, the idea is that times have changed dramatically. A leader used to be someone who exercised power in a way where they, they 
didn't seek the permission of the follower. They didn't try to engage the heart. They didn't try to engage the will. They, they just dictated, typically in authoritarian ways, and times were such, and it's been true for much of history, people did what they were supposed to do because they were told to do it. Well, you guys know this. You, you, you try to do that with a teenager today. You try to do that with a millennial. Try to do that with almost anybody. Uh, and, and the reality is people do not respond to authority that way. People are going to do what they're going to do because they want to do it. And a hospitable leader learns how to engage a person's heart. A hospitable leader learns how to engage a person at the level of their will, which, by the way, is how God ordered things to happen between himself and human beings. And it's the way Jesus led as well. Good leaders don't, people don't do it because they're told to do it. They do it because the leader leads so well that the person is, is, is doing something because they want to do it. Mm-hmm. So what are two, like two or three things that uh, maybe their habits, maybe their daily routines or, or, or whatever it is that kind that help you, that you, you, you do that, that kind of help? Because what it sounds like is you're building, you're, you've kind of built a framework for yourself that helps you to, 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 to lead well, but also to, to view people through this lens. What are, what would be some habits or some things that, that you, um, that you engage in that help you to do this? Man, you guys really make me think. (laughs) Well, we are the learner's corner. (laughs) Yeah. Well, these, these weren't in the cheat sheet questions, man. Um, well, I just have questions off of stuff that you're saying. (laughs) So um, let me. Here's what comes to mind. I don't mean to sound like some holy guy, but in all sincerity, the most important practice of my life is my daily time of prayer. Um, I I commit, as I'm sure you guys do, and 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 many of your listeners do. I I commit the first part of most every day uh, to to prayer. That is is both, you know. I love the definition of prayer that Richard Foster and and uh, some other guys came up with. It's found in the Renovere Study Bible. It's something like this: Prayer is conversation with God about what we are thinking, feeling, and doing together. And I try to practice that kind of prayer where I'm talking and I'm listening, and um, and that gets my heart prepared for my engagement with other people's hearts. If I'm not praying regularly, I'm, I'm just not just this naturally nice guy. So, and I'm saying that now as a 55 year old man, um, you know, I just, I need Jesus. So, um, but, but I, I, not just theoretically on a practical level, I need to be in relationship with Jesus to become more like him in order to lead the way he does. And then I would say that I actively try to engage the hearts of people. So the hospital leader is organized around five welcomes. Mm-hmm. And the first welcome is called home. And that's where 
I believe that a good leader tries to create environments in whatever leadership context they're in that feels like home to people. And I talk about how that home is where the heart is warm. And when the heart is warm, then it's people are much more amenable to being led. And I just really try, uh, now that my heart is warmed in my relationship with Jesus, to warm people's hearts. One of the things we talk about ar around the Life Christian Church is we, one of our values is we are always hospitable. And a sub point is we massage people's hearts. So don't, you're not just serving a cup of coffee at the coffee bar. Uh, the barista is not just doing that. They're, they're thinking about how to massage that person's heart. There, there's something not just transactional happening. There's something transformative happening. And that's a posture and an attitude about people. It's caring about more than serving the cup of coffee. It's thinking about the human being, the human experience, who they are, where they're coming from, what their needs are. Um, so I think those are two things I would say is I try to warm my own heart, and then I, I really try to warm other people's hearts. And I think about that when I conduct meetings. I think about that when I put sermons together. I think about that as I'm writing a book. How do you engage the heart? And, and speaking of that, uh, you know, there's, there's a statement that you make that, that I just feel like it punctuates it so much. And it's that people need to leave with more than an action item list. They need to leave with their hearts engaged. And so what, what are maybe one or two things that you, uh, that you do, whether it be in your messages or um, even, even like sitting across the table from people to engage their hearts? So what I've experienced is I, 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 I'm blessed to be surrounded here in the New York City metropolitan area by a lot of really successful business people and even people uh, whose academic backgrounds are in management or organizational leadership, lots of MBAs and, and, and uh, management of organizational leadership people, all this kind of stuff. And it just amazes me, especially older leaders. This is changing some. People are understanding more and more the importance of what, what would be called soft leadership skills. But it's amazing to me how many people, you know, a Wharton Business School guy, uh, I, I've seen this happen just recently, frankly, just this week. I, he, I, I hope he won't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Wharton Business School guy uh, um, who, 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 who is on my team. I love him. But... Uh, who, who will lead a meeting in a just-the-facts kind of way. You, you have a room full of people, you're trying to move them from here to there, and you're just sharing information. You know, so, so it's all about the, ch the charts, it's all about the slides, it's all about um, um, uh, convey, conveying information. But... And, and then walking out, you know, if, uh, if a leader's smart, and, and by the way, this is about hospitable leadership. I'm interested in influencing people. So, you know, the, 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 the end result is important to me. And, you know, a smart leader then has people walking out w and with an action item list. You know, what did we say we're going to do? Who accepted responsibility to do it? When's it supposed to be done? When are we checking back on this? But it's not enough for people to leave the meeting with an action item list. They have to leave the meeting with their heart engaged. People are motivated to do things not because they have information, 
they're motivated to do things because their heart is engaged as well. And when I talk about the heart, I'm talking about the seat of the will. You know, people have to will to do a thing. And so paying attention to the kind of things that move people's hearts. So, you know, that, that could be something as simple as understanding the sacramental nature of the table. Um, by which I mean, you know, a smart leader thinks a lot about how to get people in a, in a, in a communal environment where they're engaged with one another in meaningful fellowship. And the truth is food and drink really, really help with that. Or that could mean, and I bring that into the office environment. We practice that as a staff. Um, um, that could mean telling heartwarming stories. That could mean the, the way that you're, you're framing your vision so that you're inspiring people. That could mean your own passion. That could mean planning fun. I mean, you know, laughter is, is medicine for the heart. And so it's just... It's just never being satisfied with a just the facts, ma'am, Joe Friday, you guys are too young for that probably, <laughs> approach to leadership. It, it, is, it, is, it is understanding that I've got to touch the entire being of this person. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, I, I'm, that I heard, I just wanted to go back a little bit. You talked about um, the importance, the importance of soft skills, and how how they're becoming really a predominant piece, not just in business world, but now also kind of coming into church world. Um, this is so. This is something a little bit off of off of the hospitable leader idea, but it's more of, of leadership and, and going into that. What are some things right now that you would encourage people who who are leaders? What are some things you would encourage them to start looking at in terms of soft skills? And that could be either coming into the church or in the business world or whatever. I always like I always like knowing what people are are watching. The obvious one that comes to mind, actually, there there are two things that come to mind. One's a little older, one's a little newer. And I could probably answer this and should answer this in a lot of ways and answer it differently. But the but 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 the first one would be. Um, Emotional intelligence, you know, the work of Daniel Goleman around emotional intelligence, and obviously there's a lot of work that's been done around this now. Um, and uh, Pete Scazzaro has done a good job with this in a church context in, in his work about the emotionally healthy church and emotionally healthy spirituality. I think just paying attention to our own, uh, our own emotional intelligence just creates a natural flow in terms of leading hospitably and practicing the soft skills well. You, you know, if you're working on empathy, well, empathy is a powerful leadership tool. It's a powerful communication tool. I mean, I, I talk in uh, the hospitable leader, I, I have a, one of the welcomes is on communication. And I talk about, about how when I speak, when I, when I preach, how I, I, I practice listening while I'm speaking so that I'm a, a good audience to my audience so I know what they need to hear. So I think social uh, or emotional intelligence and empathy is a big part of that. Self-awareness is a big part of that. That's important. I'll tell you something 
that I've been particularly moved by recently. And, you know, hopefully we'll talk about uh, a brighter, a, a broader array of, lear- array of learning so, so I, can, I can impress you with the more uh, <laughs> academic <laughs> and uh, uh, so, so but, but I've actually, I, I had a woman on my staff team a year or so ago give me a book by Brene Brown who, who I, frankly, I hadn't heard of at that time, Dare Greatly. And um, she's a, a millennial, and um, she sits on my team that helps me plan our, uh, our, our sermon series. And um, truthfully, in kind of a patronizing way, I, I started reading that just because I wanted to know why a a uh, 27-year-old woman was so moved by this writing. I just read it just to educate myself. And I became so moved by uh, her concept, for instance, of worthiness, which I've, I've, I struggled a lot with because of my theology that, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of right. God, not of works. Less. Anyway, how could I ever claim that I'm worthy? It took me about a year to, to finally come to the simple... Um, the, the, the simple conclusion that I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of love and belonging because God says I am. God demonstrated his love for us that in, in as much as while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I may be way off topic here except to say that I think knowing that one is worthy of love and belonging. Now, we're not worthy of the cross but we are worthy of being loved because God says we are. So, so to me personally, um, knowing th- that I am loved by God and, and worthy of belonging uh, and being loved by other people, to me, that state of being is, uh, that's the kind of thing that creates a natural harmony between one's inner condition and the way that they approach others in leadership uh, efforts. Does that make any sense? Do you guys think I'm nuts yet? No, uh, nope. You're, no. Making, you're definitely making sense, and I'm really resonating with it. Yeah. No, I like stuff like that. I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by, I guess for me, I'm fascinated by what, so you'll get into, you know this, um, when you start talking about you know hard skills, soft skills, and business stuff to church people, you have two camps. You have the one side that's that's like, ah, it's just all about you know church and communion, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and they do that. And then you have this other side that's like, no, yeah, I'm tracking with that, and I, I agree, and this is how we can do this better. And so I always like hearing what pastors. Um, and, and people who are kind of uh, in the, in that community, what they're looking at and what they're kind of following when it comes to soft skills, because I think right now um, a lot of currency that's being that's being used um, and, and that people are, are really talking about right now are you need to develop soft skills. I mean, this is something that's super important. So, no, I appreciate you you kind of elaborating and talking through that a little bit. Hey, hey, and I'm for the hard skills, too, you know. Uh, you guys see this from from my book. You know this book was endorsed by Jack Welch. He's probably mm-hmm. never endorsed a book. Oh, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't even endorse books. Right. Um, so you know, Jack's Jack Welch would be one of the most famous hard skill guys of the last century. Unbelievable so, leader. 
Yeah. So I, and he's a fantastic leader. Now he actually practices soft skills a lot more than people would imagine if you read his book Winning, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but so I'm all for the hard skills. I don't think that there has to be any any dispute between the two. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm definitely with you on this. Um, so Terry, um, what? What is there anything else that that you can think of just as we're as we're starting to, to head towards the end of this conversation that that you'd like to say to the audience about how they can become more intentional about what you're talking about in your book as it pertains to hospitable leadership? So I, I've really fallen in love with um, a scene from the life of Jesus that makes me think on several levels about what it looks like to create a hospitable environment that influences people. And that's, that's Jesus and the last supper. Now this may sound, you know, very unleadership theory like, but, but stick with me for a second because it kind of pulls some of this together. So when, when Jesus, a lot of times people, so, so, so what I want to say to you is that we create hospital environments physically, spiritually, emotionally, attitudinally, and communicatively. A lot of people don't pay attention to the fact that when Jesus got ready for the Last Supper, there's quite a bit of attention given to appropriate physical space. So you, you, you look at the Synoptic Gospels, Luke in particular, and there are several verses given to Jesus sending Peter and John, of all people, to take the lead on this to find a certain room in a certain place that was large enough, that was furnished appropriately, and to go and to undergo the laborious task of preparing the Passover meal, which would have included, my understanding is, going to the temple, finding the right lamb, having it butchered, you know, finding the wine, setting a table for, you know, 12 plus one. A lot of attention was given to the physical space. I think hospitable leaders care a lot about physical environment. But secondly, and this speaks back to what we were talking about with, with Brene Brown and emotional intelligence, Jesus obviously created a spiritual environment out of who he was. The, the text in John says that he knew that he had come from the Father, that the uh, Father gave him authority, he was going back to the Father. The fact that he knew who he was in relationship with the Father created a spiritual environment. He also created an appropriate emotional environment. John's gospel says in one translation, he showed the full extent of his love. He showed them, the people at the table, the full extent of his love. That's a powerful thing. Rodney Ferris has done quite a bit of work around the idea of organizational love. A good leader shows love to their followers. Their followers know they love them. Next, attitudinally, you know, he wraps himself in a servant's towel, and he, he washes the feet of his disciples. I mean, this is, you know, classic servant leadership, but you can't practice servant leadership unless you've created an environment in which people feel welcomed and are open to receiving it. But this is another thing that a leader does, is they posture themselves to serve the people that they're trying to lead. And then finally, the communicative environment was powerful. Because if you look at what Jesus said at the Last Supper from the perspective of a leadership talk, he gave a leadership talk for the ages. You know, he, he makes a new agreement with, with his followers. He, um, 
he cast vision for their preferred future. He um, he uh, tells them secrets about the business that they need to know. He 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 gives them, if you please, an action item list and says, you know, I've chosen you so that you'll go and bear fruit. In other words, I'm expecting you to produce. We've got to get something done here. And, you know, these guys go and they literally change the world. We're here 2,000 years later, and part of it's because of this amazing happening. So I would just say that has, has for me, really coalesced into a very intentional way of thinking about every environment in which I try to lead. Physical environment, spiritual environment, emotional environment, attitudinal environment, and communicative environment. That was probably a longer answer than you wanted, but... No, that's good. That's great. Yeah. So, can you just talk about, you know, what's... Because I'm just really curious. Can you talk about the difference that you've seen in yourself and that you've seen in the church um, before you adopted this mentality of hospitable leadership and then afterwards? Well, it's been, it's been a really long journey. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things I would say is, is my staff as it's grown over the years, you know, there's less turnover. I mean, every staff has some turnover. And, and when people leave, they almost always leave well. Um, I'm not going to say that didn't happen 20 years ago. I'm just going to say it happens a lot more now. Um, I, I, the, the sense I get from my team is if they know I'm leading a meeting, they're really excited. Even though they know I'm probably going to call them to more than any other leader on our team will. But I actually had somebody on our team say yesterday, they said, you know, uh, when, when so-and-so leads a, a meeting, uh, I think that we feel, um, how, how was it? We, we feel uh, we feel the strain of things. Mm-hmm. We feel the pressure of things. We're reminded of reasons we should be tired. And then this person said, when, when you lead a meeting, we feel better about ourselves even though you're asking us to do more. And that sounds a little self-serving, but, but I would just say that that's, that's been a, that's a long journey uh, that where more and more, I think I'm leading more and more hospitably. Now, not always. I mean, there are, you know, I had to apologize to somebody on my staff team yesterday because uh, I was upset about something that had happened and my tone was a little sharp. And, um, you know, uh, because we've tried to create an environment where someone could tell me that and did, I thank them for telling them me and apologizing. Now, the reality is 20 years ago, someone probably wouldn't have felt comfortable saying that to me, which is sad. So, you know, it's just a healthier place. It's not perfect. I'm a long way from perfect. Um, so, but, but I, I sure like um, the way things feel a whole lot more today than I did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our uh, guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping you uh, personally and professionally right now? The thing that comes to my mind, which may sound a little odd as well, is I I thought about my adult 
children uh, when I when I read this question, and I thought about the fact that I have three kids, uh, a daughter and two sons, uh, between the ages of 26 and 32, and I thought about the fact that both of my adult sons have been very engaged in this whole project around the hospitable leader and actually helped me write the book. One of them is a professional writer and director in Hollywood, so that was nice. But the other is a, a pastor on my staff team. And um, they've just been fully engaged. And, and something about that has just, it's kind of one of those full circle things in life that you guys are too young to be able to, to, to fully comprehend, which is a good thing because it will come soon enough, where you just see your leadership effort in this case in the home and church, because they both obviously have been a part of that all their lives, kind of come full circle. And all of a sudden I find them partnering with me in ways that are, you know, in many ways are smarter than I am, more accomplished than I am, and helping me succeed. Uh, where most of my life was about helping them. And my daughter's just a wonderful girl who just brings me a lot of joy. So that's what came to mind. Does that, is that helpful at all? Yeah, that makes sense. No, yeah, it definitely is. Um, well, what advice would you give to somebody who is eager to learn? Read, read, read. <laughs> I love well that's you know that's close to our hearts <laughs> in, in all seriousness I am a voracious reader and I've let me, let me let me say one of the most important things for me over the years has been I haven't only read but I have um, I have organized everything I have read for 35 years Wow so I can, I have topically organized everything I've read for 35 years so that I can put my hands on the best of anything I've ever read on a particular topic in five minutes. And I do it every week as I'm preparing for my sermons. So I would say not only read, 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 but make sure that 35 years from now, if you read something fantastic this week, like maybe from the hospitable leader or something, <laughs> you 35 years yeah. from now, you can put your hands on that and say, oh, here's that statement about, you know, leaders of the past tell. I remember something about that. Leaders of the futures ask. Mm -hmm. So I, I really encourage, especially younger people, start, and, and my kids do this, everything they read, they they topically organize it. So So what does that look like for you? How do you organize all of that information? Well, my, my kids use Evernote to organize all of that. I actually, uh, many years ago, Bakers, the publisher, uh, who ha happens to be my publisher of all things, I should tell them this, um, they used to put together, they, they used to do a book called Baker's Textual and Topical Index. It's a, it's a book, it's a little, probably too complicated to file, but where you can open a file in this book on any topic and um, you just simply enter in that file. This is a book with probably a thousand pages. You you and and every page has like six sections of, of it's just a it's just a a number uh, with a t and you enter a topic and then there are probably ten or fifteen lines under it where you can you can enter the name of the book, 
the author of the book and the page on which you found that topic. And that's one of the most valuable things I have in this world. And my assistants, you, every week they, you know, I'll say, I want, tell me what I have on dreams or tell me what I have on mm -hmm. communication or tell, and in a matter of, uh, I, I go, I go home to my study with a box of books and all the pages marked where everything I've read over 35 years, um, it's, it's right there. And, and in a matter of a few minutes, I've accessed it all. What's one of your favorite things that you've read recently? Um, man, uh, Spiritual Direction by Henry Nouwen. Um, I love the way he talks about move, how Jesus moved from solitude to community to mission. Uh, N.T. Wright's bio of Paul, uh, wonderful. Yes. One of my favorite things I've read recently, too. Oh, just yeah. great. And I read it at the same time. I, I take a study break every year for a month and, and just read and think and pray and, and travel. Um, I read that at the same time that I was reading Eric Metaxas's Martin Luther. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it was just interesting reading, you know, N.T. Wright has this unique Pauline perspective. It was interesting reading that at the same time I was reading uh, about Luther, and it, it, I found it holistically wonderful. And if you want to talk about what I'm reading, I could take a lot of time because I'm typically reading a number of things at once. Yeah, yeah. G so give us, yeah, give us, give us uh, your list. All right. Um, on my nightstand right now is a biography of Napoleon by I think it's Robert Andrews. Yep, I've heard of this. My uh, devotional table right now, I have uh, a Flannery O'Connor, I guess it would be called an anthology. Hmm. Um, I have uh, Richard, I'm reading through Richard Foster's classic uh, on prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home Again. It's just, it's just, oh, if I could, if I could write, think, feel uh, like Richard Foster, I'd be a happy man. He's like a uh, he's like a prophet that uh, just comes off the mountain every once in a while and gives like some unbelievable thing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, I've I've just uh, I'm reading through Power of Moments by uh, Heath and Heath. Mm -hmm. That's a great companion to the Hospitable Leader, by the way, because he kind of off they offer some practical ways and they they they've never heard of Hospitable Leadership. I'm guessing. Hopefully they will. The book just came out, but they really describe well how to transform environments uh, into into places where people can be better led. Uh, I'm reading uh, Emily uh, Smith's "The Power of Meaning," pretty good. Sean A. Sean Acor's "The Big Potential" uh, or "Big Potential," I think it's called. Um, those are some of the things I'm reading right now. No, that's that's great. Um, Caleb and I, we we're so nerdy about reading. We've actually come up with systems. We'll, we can even tell you about it after um, after the podcast is over. But for how we read things and how we categorize things, and um, I'm big into audiobooks. Yeah, there's we we just love we love reading and learning through that that medium. Um, well, that's great. I admire that, and and you you and the people that you try to lead will be so well served by you practicing a discipline of reading, especially over the long haul. Sure, sure. Now, if you could have everybody learn one thing, now that thing could be as inane and just uh, not important as being able to brew the perfect cup of coffee or tea, or 
it could be something highly tactical, philosophical, um, along those lines. What would that one thing be? Well, this may sound self-serving. I'm sorry if it does, but I mean it. Um, how to lead better. Mm -hmm. Because leadership has such exponential power. You know, because all of a sudden you're, you're not just making it about yourself, you're making it about others and, and you're making it about mission. Mm -hmm. And the, the reality is, you know, some people get hung up on the fact there's a gift of leadership and act as if they don't have that gift that they don't need to develop the ability to lead well. And I, I say, well, I don't have a, a very strong gift of mercy. But if <laughs> I've developed, I've developed it over the years because I would crash and burn if if I didn't develop my 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 minuscule mercy gift. So the the fact is, all the research says that someone, regardless of their natural leadership gifting, can learn to lead better. And I think moms need to learn to lead better, and dads need to learn to lead better. And youth pastors need to learn to lead better, and teachers and coaches and CEOs and so on. So I, I think that that's what I would say. I, there are a lot of things I'd probably like to say in response to that. But I, I think, you know, there are so many good people, guys, especially in Christian ministry. So many good people have such good hearts. Most Christ followers I meet, most ministry, they are fantastic people, better people than I am. But the responsibility to lead others into all of that fantasticness uh, is something that we really, really need to work on. Mm -hmm. And then just our final question is, what are you learning right now? Well, I just told you everything I'm reading. <laughs> um, okay. Mo Muay Thai. Really? Muay Thai. Or have you, do, you have any, do you have any martial arts experience in the past or no. is this new? No. I just, you know, I've worked out three to five times a week most of my adult life, and I just got bored with all of it and decided to challenge my body in a different way. And for a year now, I've been doing Muay Thai. And, man, I could kick you in the head. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I believe I believe you. Now, is, now, have you? What are what are some differences that you've noticed from working out like you had been for years to to this? Because because martial arts is just a total different way of of working out. I mean, it's people don't understand. I, I think how how crazy um, the difference is between the two. What 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 have you noticed? Well, I, I'm in I'm in better shape than I've been in a long time, and it's helped me to lose some weight that I needed to lose, and I'm still on that journey as well. The fact that I've worked out all those years doesn't mean that I've weighed what I've wanted to all those years. Um, and it's just, it, it's kind of, you know, Muay Thai, you're, you're striking, and you're kneeing, and you're elbowing, and you're kicking. Clinching. Pardon me? Clinching. You, you know, you're not in Muay Thai, actually. Uh, you don't you don't ground and pound. You don't. It's, there's no jujitsu involved. No, no, no. It, that's yeah. That's that's grappling, but clinching is where you're standing up and they get into some dirty boxing stuff. I, I yes, 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 yes. So uh, I, I misunderstood you. No, so I, it's this full body thing. Yeah. That uh, I just love, and and for a guy my age, 
again, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 56, I think next week. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, there aren't very many guys my age at the, at the, at the MMA gym. And, uh, I like being the, the, the guy in there who's trying to stay ahead of the game and, and be sharp and hang out with these younger guys. And, um, so that, that's something that I'm learning that I'm for the most part enjoying. I, I don't enjoy all of it. I feel like I might die at times. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If people want to continue to learn from you and find the book, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. If, if you're, if your listeners want to visit me and kind of learn more about our new hospitable leader community, they can visit terryasmith.com forward slash learner. That's terryasmith.com forward slash learner. And if someone goes there to this section that's been developed, especially for your listeners, um, they can get a free preview of the book. And um, they can also learn more about this whole thing by visiting hospitableleader.com. Now, people can order the book anywhere books are sold. I hope people will. And, and I'm not sure when the podcast is dropping, but um, th- there's an audio book that, that will be released soon, hopefully um, by early November. Mm-hmm. So the book's available everywhere. They can get a free preview on terryasmith.com forward slash learner, or if somebody wants to, uh, they could purchase the book anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the Learner's Corner today. Thank you, guys. It's been my blessing. Thank you. Okay, Todd, first of all, wow. Second of all, what's something you learned? Be like Jesus. Just kidding. Okay. I learned some stuff. <laughs> elaborate. I some stuff. Elaborate. Listen, listen, just I, a little I bit more, please. I learned some stuff. Yeah. So, um, as we're thinking about being a hospitable leader, um, it, he really gets into. He really got in with that interview and with the book too. I've I've read it, I've read the book, and and he, he gets into a lot of things that maybe for some people would be common sense, but leadership isn't complex. Leadership just is takes effort. It's difficult. And being it's not even that it's difficult. Yes. It takes effort. And when you're thinking about being a hospitable leader, I'm disagreeing with you. Can I just say I'm being in a disagreeable Can I mood. just say what what was the word that you used for it? Takes effort. That's the literal same thing as it's, it's not, difficult. It's not. I'm I'm disagreeing. But anyway, it, 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 Are you not being inhospitable? You're being inhospitable. I'm just pushing you out of the way because that's what's needed in this moment. That's what's required of me right now. Whenever I ask the question, what does love require of me today? It requires me to push Caleb out of the way. <laughs> Shout out to Andy Stanley. <laughs> but whenever I think of, of, of being a hospitable leader, I think of effort and I think of doing difficult things. LOL. And I think of, of, of taking the effort to, to go and, and take the extra, the extra step. And there's tons of examples of this when we see Jesus leading. And when we see other people in the Bible when they're leading, it's, it's not so much that they're coming up with complex schemes and strategies. It's asking, asking yourself some questions. And one of them is, 
maybe maybe it is the joke that I made earlier. What is what does love require of me? But sometimes it's just what is required of me in this moment and following through on that to be a hospitable leader and to lead people well. Agreed. Couldn't have said it better myself, except I would have used the word difficult. And so if you wouldn't you, have been nearly as eloquent. So if you enjoyed this episode, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And if this podcast has helped you in any way, leave us a rating and write a review specifically on um, Apple Podcasts. As we mentioned, there is a current challenge going on. Oh, what's the challenge? Right now. That if we hit 100, then... Reviews. Yes. What am I going to do? You are going to read a review in a made-up voice. So... And it's going to be amazing. If you want to hear me be really uncomfortable <laughs> and, really out of, and really out of my element, please do that. Oh, make him do it, please. I just want to... I want. I will record every minute of it. It can be... It could be your Christmas present oh, to Todd. Oh, Hicks please. A.K.A. the Todd father. Please <laughs> let that happen. So thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I will play it at his wedding one day. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It is Todd Hicksonball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.